0: morning, brothers and sisters. Um, I uh, ordinarily at this uh, time of the conference, Brother Kong usually uh, comes to the podium uh, first. And every year we can count on him to give us two pearls of advice. And they are so true. The first is that in truth, all of our answers that um, to the questions that have been submitted, um, the answers uh, are not found in the wisdom of men, but in the um, in the wisdom of God, and that the Lord has truly the answers to these questions. And then Brother Kong would remind us that the Lord Himself is the answer to many of these questions. And so I think. Um, it's good to remember what our dear brother has always reminded us of, rather than um, searching for the wisdom of men. Um, I have uh, four questions that were submitted. And as always, uh, I will try to uh, refer back to the word of God to answer the questions. And then inevitably, there's always a little bit of sort of maybe what I have gone through in that particular question, that portion certainly is uh, less reliable, um, and, um, but we want to focus on what um, the Bible has, has said about these questions. So I'll go ahead and begin. Um, and then once I finish through our four questions, then um, our brother uh, Dana is going to follow. And I'm very thankful for that. That way, if I botch any of these, Dana can set us right. So we'll start uh, with question number one, uh, and I've paraphrased it a little bit. Uh, having a job and being a father of young children, how do you take care of a busy life in the Lord? We all need to experience the Lord in a practical way and in our individual everyday lives. So um, maybe we can start by... Uh, Actually, why don't we start with a word of prayer, and then we'll hit, uh, read some of the Bible. Lord, we come before you uh, this morning because, uh, Lord, we need to find you as uh, the answer for the questions that are in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you might be here with us. And even though we're connected only by the internet and, and screens, but Lord, our hearts are together and gathered in your name. So Lord, we pray that you would open uh, your word to give us answers. And for those who have asked the questions, Lord, I pray that you might uh, do a good work. Um, So Lord, be with us. Lord, might your wisdom uh, be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, regarding that first question, um, our job, our families and are serving the Lord. Um, We'll read just a couple of verses. We'll start in Colossians chapter three, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And then if we could turn to First um, uh, Timothy chapter five verse eight. First Timothy chapter five, verse eight. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then if we could turn to um, Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And uh, we'll end with this verse here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Uh, Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, Performing with his hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Um, So this is really a good question. Um, How do we uh, go through our life in these three capacities? Our work, our families, and our serving the Lord. And I think every year I've received some variation of this question. Um, and uh, the question separates our life into three uh, categories or, or buckets. Um, one is our work life, and the second is our family life, and the third is our life in the house of God. And I think one thing that's helpful for us to remember is that we should try to think of all three as serving one master. Uh, it is, even though we can categorize our daily schedule into these three areas, the truth is that we're reminded in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever we do, um, we are serving the Lord Christ. And so I think it's this first point for us is to remember that uh, when we wake up, from when we wake up to when we, um, when we uh, go to bed, that everything that we are doing is in service. Everything uh, that we are doing is in service to our Lord, and um, this is why it's so important to bookend our day. Um, and that is that when we wake up to pray and uh, to commit the day to the Lord, and then at the end of our day, that we might pray and thank the Lord for bringing us through. Um, The um, truth is that life is very hard and I think all of us know that every three of these aspects, our work, our family, and serving the Lord can be very hard and uh, and sometimes is a great burden. And there are different stages of our life. When And thinking of these three combined, when we are in our 20s and 30s, it might be that we've started our jobs, and we have a new wife and a new family, and maybe a a couple of little kids, and we are uh, serving the Lord um, on Sundays, and all of them are challenging, and all of them bring about um, uh, daily responsibilities, and uh, we may wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to make it through? And then later on, we perhaps begin to um, be more involved in, in, in managing people or in sleepless nights because of that. Our kids are teenagers, uh, an entirely different set of, of challenges. And no matter what, life is really hard. And I was praying last night about this question. And I think some of these story, these these, these um, stages of our life that we go through, it's exactly why the Lord put us with brothers and sisters, so that we might fellowship together in real time and in real life with saints who are going through the same things. The house of God, and I shared this the last couple of years also, the house of God is a great resource for us to um, learn wisdom and to um, learn from uh, those who have come before us. And so I think it's important to remember that we are not alone, that we have the house of God with us and we have to pray. Praying is really, really important that we might share our our problems with the Lord and let him uh, work in us. Um, But I'd like to give a couple of specifics if that's okay. I remember um, a time in my life when I was going through a very hard time at work. And on those days, what was of help to me was, I would wake up and I would look at my calendar and I would pray for the Lord's wisdom and strength for every single one of those um, items on on the list that day. Um, And uh, of course, there was always one that was a greater burden than the others and I would pray for that time. And so um, this was a a big help to me and it grew my faith because the Lord was giving me the chance to go through real life and uh, seek his help. And when I found that he was faithful to those things, then, well, other times would come and I knew that I could always call upon him. I remember um, when I was in college that I was trying to solve an organic chemistry problem. This is one of those moments in your life that are so vivid. And I was looking, I had to get in organic chemistry. You'd start with some compound. And of course, I can't remember any of those names anymore. And you could add in reagents and get from point A to point like X. And you have to go through all these different reagents to get there. And I was trying for so long and I couldn't figure it out. And finally, I I prayed, and I remember my prayer. I I said, Lord, you invented all of this. I really need to solve this equation or this this problem. And so then when I finished praying, I just went step by step. And and I I thought it was a miracle. I got from A to X um, after trying for so long. And it was just a moment of faith for me to to grow. And so I think praying um, for all of those moments is important. And I will also say that as um, uh, in our families, there is no family that doesn't go through um, many challenges. And, and, and our mine is, is no different. And, um, and so praying is very important because what happens is the Lord gives you those whom you love because um, we go through life with them. And when they go through difficult times, well, we go through difficult times. And so um, I know many people do this, but uh, each morning and each evening, um, I try to pray for my, I, the question asked, how do you, father, two kids, I, I, I have four kids, um, but I pray for all four of my children and I, I pray for my wife. Um, and there are specifics there, but I was asking the Lord about it. I don't have liberty to share those because those are my 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 kids' uh, uh, milestones and growing in their faith, and that's their story to tell. Um, but um, but uh, but certainly, each father knows what it is to um, bear burdens with their family. So we should pray. Um, there's another um, thing about work, and that's from Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-eight. I mention work because even though um, we're sharing about uh, the Lord being the, uh, the Lord Christ being our master, even at work, um, we need to have a word of caution. And that is that we don't wanna give too much of our soul and our spirit to work because it will take more and more of us. And what we'll find is the extra salary or the, the bigger house or the bigger mortgage will never replace time um, with our family or time uh, in the house of God. So that that is a word of caution that we should prioritize our children um, because they know um, when we um, have them first in our heart. So regarding work, uh, Ephesians chapter four gives us a really a good um, way of thinking about work. And that is to say that, well, we should no longer steal. So hopefully if you're stealing, don't steal anymore. But then the Bible tells us you should labor. Um, And why do we labor? Because one day, someone's going to come to us with need. And so we should labor so that when that moment comes, we'll have something to share with them. And so this is a good way of looking at our work, that the Lord gives us a job, and and it's the practicality of life. Um, And that which the Lord gives us is purposed Um, to be used for his kingdom. And it may be that we um, use it for um, more outwardly uh, faith-based things. It may be that we um, give it to someone in need who's not a believer, Um, but it should be used for him. Um, And then um, prioritizing our children. Um, Well, here's we should, we should pray that the Lord would always increase our love for them. Um, and we should love them not only in word, but in deed and in truth. Um, so um, work is stressful. Um, when you get home and if you had a heavy day, we shouldn't take it out on our kids or on our wife. We should prioritize them and prioritize our wife um, and always be praying. these things so i'm sorry that was my longest answer so the others are not as long okay so that's question number one um i hope that was of help question number two is um washing of feet is such a foreign idea are there any more specific examples for today well it is a foreign idea to us today because we don't usually wash one another's feet this way. But um, at that time, it was a very practical um, uh, thing to do. Um, I remember in um, 1996, um, a group of us went to um, Israel and I remember bringing, I I wore these um, slippers and uh, I remember that um, many days we'd come back and boy, there was grime and dirt all caked all over my feet and in my, you know, toenails and everything. And, and I thought, wow, this, this, this particular passage became quite alive. And uh, walking back then was the great unifier, because no matter if you were a white collar or blue collar or whatever you were, you would walk. And so everybody had the experience of what it was to need to have your feet washed. So I know that today it seems like a really a foreign idea, but back then it was so practical. There are other examples of what the Lord did to serve um, people. Um, uh, there was a time when um, He was teaching, and there were you know multitudes gathered to listen to Him, and it was getting dark, and they were sort of in the um, far away from any local eateries, and so the Lord told His disciples, "We should." We should give them something to eat because they're going to have to walk home. And we want to make sure that they are at least um, not only that their hearts were full with, with with the word, but also that their stomachs were full with nourishment. And so the Lord proceeded to feed them in a rather um, Lord like way, um, uh, a wonderful way. He also would heal uh, those who were infirmed, um, seeking them out and, and finding them where they were. He comforted those who are mourning, um, and these were direct interventions that the Lord um, would undertake. Um, but uh, today, the Lord, um, in that Son of Man's body, is no longer with us, but He still has a body, and um, and uh, in in um, the Book of Acts, we know that um, uh, it's. The Acts of the Apostles is the name that has been given. But so many uh, uh, people of God have always said it really should be the Acts of the Lord Jesus in his body, um, the church. Um, And so today, uh, so much of how the Lord serves us may be through that body. And so maybe we can turn together to Galatians uh, chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And we'll read verses uh, one and two. Um, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So, um so in this particular passage, the Lord is reminding us that we need to carry one another. And um, I have just a couple of examples of this, and some of them are uh, uh, sort of these, you know, once in a blue moon moments in our lives, and, and, and others are more common. Um, I remember one year, um, I was uh, uh, going to be giving a message in San Diego, and um, and I had been uh, giving, um, uh, speaking there for just a couple of years. And, and each time I would give one message. And so they said, well, can you come again? So I did. And I prepared one message and I, th- and just before we arrived, we got a look at the schedule and there were two messages and I, I had, I had no idea. And so, um, the, when we got to the uh, meeting place, up until the night before I was going to give the second message, I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to share about, and um, and I was praying like I haven't prayed in a long time, and my wife was too, and I nothing was coming to me, and um, and that night, um, in my sleep, um, the Lord gave me the message. And um, to me, again, it was a miracle. I know that the Lord served me that night. Um, he He took care of His will, and and equipped. Um, and this was one of those blue moon moments. But what's much much more common is daily difficulties at work, um, hard meetings that we have to go to, giving feedback um, that is difficult feedback, yet wanting to bear testimony of the life of Christ. Um, these are hard things. And uh, I, I, I will pray to the Lord for wisdom. Um, and um, afterwards, I always feel like the Lord was so merciful. And so um, sometimes the Lord will serve us, um, oftentimes through just the hard moments of our life. Another thing to say is sometimes we think that him serving us is unto our desires. And that, of course, is not the case. Um, he serves us unto his purposes. And so um, I remember one time where my when my wife and I were, were trying to find a, a home, a new home, and we found one place that we really loved. And we thought, well, for sure, this is it. And I was already imagining how we were going to, you know, fix it up. And then, of course, um, in the Lord's wisdom, uh, we didn't get it. And uh, and I uh, and, and the Lord had a better um, thought in mind for us. Um, this is very important because when we think about Him serving us, if our perspective is always that we're going to get what we think is the right is the best, well we're going to be disappointed many times because the Lord has a better plan and this speaks to having faith that um, we walk uh, on his way. So um, this is, uh, it reminds me of a, a lyric from a song by a brother named Rich Mullins, who, who the Lord brought home. Um, but it, it, it's called, uh, what's the song called again? Hold Me Jesus. And the lyric goes, I'd rather, and this is Rich writing the lyric, I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. And I beat my head against so many walls And I'm falling down. I fall on my knees. And so the point of it simply is when we think of him serving us, we're always thinking that, well, we know what's the best, but he knows um, what's the best. And then the last is on this matter of serving um, in the body of Christ. um, I um, remember um, a dear brother on the West Coast. By this point, he was in his 80s. Um, and I remembered um, one day I, I visited them, and um, I was preparing for the meeting, and they tucked me away in the corner um, where the uh, audio room was. And, and um, so the way that they have their meetings is they have a, a, a Lord's table, and then a Bible study, and then the message meeting. And so after the Lord's table, I went into this little room, and I peeked my head out the out the door. And I saw this dear brother in his eighties while everyone else was in their little groups. He was setting up the chairs for the big group. And as you know, in many cultures around the world, the younger serve the older and particularly in an Asian culture. But what we see is in the house of God, we all serve the Lord. And, and so we serve one another and I saw it. Um, so this was just really a great um, Blessing to me, and as we serve the Lord, um, we bear testimony to our children that they see that in the house of the Lord we serve one another. So that's what I had on that question. Okay, the next one is a little bit, uh, I think, of a repeat of of something from our messages. Um, uh, experiencing victory um, is uh, so uh, foundational. Is it just through having daily faith um, and claiming Christ? Um, now, um, this particular question, I need to refer us um, back to, um, let's read 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 4. This was the passage I was taking this particular um, paragraph from, and it's verse uh, 4 chapter five, verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so in this particular passage, it's speaking to us of the importance of faith in seeing victory. And faith is very important because um, sometimes the Lord's victory um, with outward eyes doesn't look like victory at all. And if we don't, and if we can't see through the Lord's eyes, boy, it seems like many Christians go through a lot of failing and a lot of difficulty. I remember when um, we were talking once about uh, being baptized, that we used to think that after you got baptized, all your problems would go away. And yet instead, what ends up happening is after we're baptized, that it seems like we have, we have greater difficulties. The Lord's uh, victory sometimes in his eyes, um, we have to see them with the eyes of faith um, because the eyes, our eyes in the world, we can tell victory according to the world very quickly. And um, whether it be in, um, um, you know, outward shows of, of wealth or, um diplomas and titles, Um, and these things may be so, but with the eyes of faith, um, we know that many of these things really don't mean that there's any victory at all. Um, It's important for us um, for a moment every day to try to see, and and, and Mac was sharing about this this morning, um, that every day we should try to see that day from the eyes of the Lord. What does the Lord want of me this day? And they may not be those things. And sometimes they also may not make us feel um, like we were victorious. In fact, sometimes we may feel um, the cross in our life. Um, So, I think that it's important for us. Vic, uh, faith is so important to victory because it shows us a different path. Um, one, one example for me was um, recently, well, it wasn't so recent, but at my work, there was a, um, an episode that happened that was highly political and um, highly um, challenging to be able to get through if I were to speak the truth. And so during that period of time, I would ask the Lord for wisdom every day. So in the mornings when I would pray, I was asking the Lord for wisdom as to what to say when the moments would come. Now it would have been much easier at the, in the, those days that I didn't say anything. Just my silence was my, my silent uh, uh, acceptance of what they were saying. Um, versus when I... Um, knew that the Lord wanted me to say something, and I did, um, and those were very, very difficult days, um, and so I didn't feel good on the days that the Lord was victorious, um, when he got what he wanted out of me. Um, it didn't feel better, but um, in my heart, I had peace about it, so, um, so having that faith that the Lord has his way is really important. Um, it's sort of like the, uh, you know, in victories, there's always You know, in the NFL, your offense has to do well and your defense has to do well. So this is more like our offense, um, that we have faith that there's a road ahead. The defense is the second question, part of the question that the brother asks or the sister asks why is claiming Christ victory? Well, claiming Christ is victory because it's our defense. Um, The enemy in the Bible, he's described as a roaring lion ready to devour any of us at any moment, and he's also uh, described as the accuser of the brethren. He's a master accuser. He will twist and um, turn every moment in our life to be a point of accusation to draw a wedge between between the beloved of God and and God. That is his intention to drive the wedge and then make it bigger and bigger until we. Um, fall away. And so um, the reason that claiming Christ is so important to victory is it's our defense Um, that we um, never forget that the Lamb of God, who is the only begotten Son, died for us on the cross. And that not only um, um, did he die for me that day, but he is with me today because of what he did. And so we reference back to Leviticus chapter one, um, verses, uh, maybe we can read it. Leviticus chapter one, verse, um, we can start uh, maybe at verse two. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Here we go. Um, uh, Verse two, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the, I'm sorry, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Um, And so um, this was just simply to say that he is mine. And um, it's a defense for us. And I'll, I'll refer back to our dear brother, Kong, who used to tell a story. And that is he would say that in every, Christ, every Christian lives in a home. And those of us who are Christians know that in our home lives with us our savior. And so sometimes if the enemy comes and knocks on our door to accuse us, and if we look through our peephole or on our ring device, and we see that he's there, we should just say, Lord, would you please get the door? And the Lord Jesus will open the door to our house. And when the enemy sees him, he'll say, I had the wrong home. And so it's just a real truth to us that we claim him. He belongs to me. Now, I say this in particular, because in our circles, and and I may be listening today, there are many who grew up in a Christian family because your parents are believers just like I did and just like my children have. Well, there's one day that's coming that we all need to decide on our own that he belongs to me. You can't get it because our, our parents did it. This is when the Lord wants for us to make that decision. And it's the the, uh, the greatest uh, decision that we will ever make. Um, And if you have any questions about that, um, you can write to the conference facilitators and they'll give you my email and I'm happy to chat with you about it. This decision, apart from your parents, is the most important decision you'll ever make that you you, you say he is mine. And so anyhow, that's the answer to the third question. I hope that was of help. Now, the last question <laughs> I really don't know the answer to this. So I'm going to bring it up. I couldn't scribble it on my paper, um, but I want to read it as it was submitted. Um, Okay, this is, uh, okay. Uh, I have young kids of my own. They are under nine years of age. They read the Bible. They know the stories. They pray to the Lord daily, and they go to meetings like what most um, religious people would do. But I can't really say that they are born again, even though they do all these outside ac- activities. I think it is because they are too young, not they uh, not really understanding the true meaning of God's salvation, and have not yet experienced. Uh, I got to read it like this. I'm sorry. Not yet experienced, um, or walked with the Lord in their personal lives. My question is, if our Lord shall return today, which is all likely, where will they be? Will they be taken up or will they be left behind? I'm very much concerned of this, for I don't know how to make them ready. And make is in quotations. I cannot impart my life with the Lord to them. Um, oh. Okay, um, so this is a, this is a, um, this is a, a challenging question. And I don't know the answer to it. And I searched the Bible and specifically the the question the brother is asking is if the Lord, if the rapture, if the Lord were to come in the rapture um, would children um, be raptured Um, and the Bible doesn't give a clear answer about this. Um, I, there are some verses that give us a glimpse though of his heart towards children and, um, how heaven um, is very fit for children. And so we'll turn first to Matthew uh, chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Um, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And then if we could turn to Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 12. Samuel chapter 12. We'll read verses 20 through uh, 23. This is after um, David had, his, um, had uh, an affair with Bathsheba, Bathsheba and um, the child was born, um, but then the child um, fell ill, gravely ill. So in verse 20, it's, it reads, and then they, they inform David that the child has died. Um, so David arose, from verse 20, so David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. Verse 23, but now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Um, so uh, so regarding the question of whether or not our children will be raptured, as, I'm, as I am sharing earlier, the Bible does not give us a specific um, answer to that. But, I, but what we do know is that the Lord loved the children. And when they would come to him on the road, the Lord would um, hold them, and 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 put His hands on them to um, bless them, and He said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Um, and um, so we know that the Lord loved the little children. Um, and um, what I've experienced, my 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 children now range in age um, from ten to nineteen. And um, but I have memories of them when they were little that I, I cherish. Um, children, it's so easy for them to believe in something greater than themselves. Um, they they are, their heart has an innocence to be able to see good, and and um, and something of that um, is uh, of of the Lord. And I know that. Um, the Lord loves them. Why? Because he has charged all of us to um, care for them and raise them up so that they might know him. And um, and so we know that he, he cherishes them and he cherishes all the little children, not just the ones who are growing up in Christian families. And so the Lord is um, uh, uh, always trying to reach out to them. And then in Second Samuel, we read about the question of a child who dies. Now, David gives the answer. And, and to be honest, we don't know that David had any further insight from heaven. Um, but what David said after his child died was he said, I'm going to be going to him, but I can't bring him back. So um, so if if it is to be assumed that David had an uh, insight from the Lord, then it must be that there is... Um, something of children being welcomed um, in heaven um, by that wisdom of God. Now, again, we have to be careful because the the Bible's not completely clear here. But that said, what we can count on is the Lord has this abundant love for every one of them, and he loves them so much. Um, Now, um, I remember too that when um, in Mark, when uh, the Lord was kind of crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee, on one trip when he came back um, to the um, uh, Capernaum side, there uh, was a, uh, a synagogue official named Jairus. Jairus came to him, and and his um, his daughter was really sick. And so um, he asked the Lord to come, and uh, the Lord uh, came. But the, before they got there, she had... She had, she had she had passed away, and the Lord came in and raised her. Um, after he raised her, one of the most wonderful parts of that story is that you, you should give her something to eat. And so what we see is the Lord is able to not only raise us, these huge, works of miracle, but he cares about like our daily needs, the daily needs of the children. And so he's always watching out for them. So I don't know the answer exactly to the question. Maybe Dana has more something that he can help us with. But what I I do know is that all of us, our faith falls back on the the Lord is love himself. And um, he loves our kids and will be watchful over them much more so than we are. Um, My wife shared a story with me as I was driving. We were driving to the church building to for the question and answer. And she's, she said, um, uh, my son, my son, uh, one of of my sons, when he was little said that he was worried about the rapture. Um, and, uh, my wife said that, um, uh, as long as you believe in your heart that, you know, the Lord is the Lord, then, um, you will be raptured. And then, and then she said, um, and don't worry, I'll hold your hand, and we'll go together. Now, I, I I, know the Lord entrusted the children to us for a reason. We are a family unit. Um, we were tucked away uh, over during the Passover when they put the blood over our doors, and it was one family there, and when the walls of Jericho fell, it was one family in Rahab's house, and um, uh, he there's a wisdom there in what he does. So anyhow, uh, I hope that that was at least a little bit helpful. And now I think I'm passing it over to Dana. Dana, I'm sorry, I went I went a little bit late.
1: All right, so uh, brothers, am I on? Just let me know. You are. All right, great. <laughs> you know, this whole weekend has been really amazing. Um, the time of worship yesterday to me was just wonderful. I've missed that so much. For six months I've been away from a time of corporate worship, even though we've met in Zoom uh, together. And But it was just wonderful hearing the prayers and devotion of the saints in various places. It was just, it's just a wonderful time. And this technology thing is uh, just really marvelous that we can get together in such a time like this. And we even have a little third indication here. Now, um, I think probably a lot of you who are here with us this year at the Northeast Christian Conference uh, attended the Harvey Cedars at one time or another. And I don't wanna get you feeling nostalgic, but today, just as this is the last day in the afternoon, out here outside my window, we have uh, the remnant of the hurricane Delta that swept up from the South. And right now is pelting our house and the the rain is falling. And anybody who attended Harvey Cedars for any number of years has remembered times when we got absolutely soaked as we were running between the the different halls and, and into the meeting place. And so it's familiar ground, it seems right somehow here where we're ending up for me anyway, the clouds and the rain and everything is falling, but we're rejoicing in our hearts. Many things I miss about the meeting in Harvey Cedars and especially brothers and sisters praying and their faith and standing with us and watching all the kids being ministered to and the young people being ministered to and all of that's happening and somehow by Zoom the teachers and everybody just done a fantastic job. Well, this is the last little section and the question and answers. And of course, um, you know, uh, I have also received some questions and so let's just get to it. I have three questions in fact, actually four but one question came in a little late but really is uh, quite similar in spirit to this first question that I will read here. And so I think we can include it together. Let's just uh, listen to the question then we'll have a prayer And try to fellowship on this matter a little bit. Says, uh, Dear brother, thanks for sharing the words uh, yesterday. Uh, I'd like to ask a sincere question based on your sharing that we need the king and putting our faith in an earthly king, such as politicians, is futile. That said, with the political, economic, and social climate as turbulent as ever, should we as Christians at all be invested in these matters, such as voting and bringing about social justice or is our involvement in them a false hope and a distraction from centering on the true need that is our need for a king to reign over our nation and more importantly our hearts that's part 1 part b of this first question is we are not looking for a king on this earth that we have to vote for a president from christian perspective what is our standard to vote for president now that would get me in a lot of trouble there But the third part is actually relevant as covering, uh, in in a larger sense, the first two parts. As we look forward to Christ's coming, 2 Peter 3.12 states, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So just exactly how can we actually hasten Christ's return? Is this verse speaking to the individual believer or for the bride or for both? Thank you. Well, thank you very much for such questions. Somebody really wants to get me in a lot of trouble here. Well, in this whole climate that we're presently in, and of course, uh, voting's coming up in a couple of weeks here in the United States, and and there's just a lot of diatribe going on and everything. I think uh, it would be helpful for us just to go back to some things that we covered this weekend. You know, in the last days, there's a priority in the lives and hearts of God's people to see a vision. People without vision perish. And this, this present social and political morass that our country is in at the moment, we can just perish if we somehow try to sink or swim or paddle our way through this thing. But a vision, if we have vision, we can understand. Uh, our life and what to do. Now, when we're talking about vision, we're not just talking about like seeing an angel one night or something like that. We're talking about a comprehensive vision of Christ that captures our life and and sets us on a course according to that vision. Just as Paul on the road to Damascus, he didn't just see Christ in a moment in a flash of heavenly light. He had a vision of Christ that was revealed within him. And it, it continued to open with an understanding of what he should do in ministry and what the Lord's priorities was and what was happening in the kingdom. So this comprehensive vision is really what we need in each one of our lives. Not just a momentary thing, but something that has captured us. And this comprehensive vision focuses around the center, which is, as we've said, we see the King. We see the greatness of Christ. I'm talking about the glorified greatness of Christ, our King. But within this vision, I would say, we might say it's a Trinitarian vision in this way. We have to see the King himself is at the very center of God's heart. If we don't see that the King is the center to everything, then we, we miss the point. But having seen that, then we look into Christ's heart and we see the church within the Christ organically functioning by his life. And suddenly we don't see people in an organization but the living body of Christ operating according to the members each is severally given. And then even beyond that, this vision works itself out in an understanding of what God is working in his kingdom. And what he's doing and his timetable of bringing in the kingdom. In other words, the work of God on a larger basis is all seen within that vision. We need that kind of vision. Now, out of that, which sounds like it's a completely spiritual thing, it's actually much more practical than that. Because, you see, out of such a vision, it gives us perspective to our decisions and priorities in our practical life as well. You know, uh, I don't know how to explain this vision except to put it this way. Let's just talk about two guys who saw vision in the Bible just for a moment, right? So John, he sees the churches in decline. He sees himself on exile, on the Patmos. He doesn't understand everything that's going on, why he's been exiled, why the churches, you know, I mean, he understands so much, obviously, but there's so much, there's some mystery to him. And then God takes him up. And says, now here is the heavenly view of what's going on. And suddenly it's as if John says, oh, I see the lamb. He's in control. He's unfurling the scrolls. Everything's in God's timing. Look, it's victory, victory, victory in heaven. And this victory is coming down to earth. Changes whole perspective. He sees that heavenly vision. And suddenly, well, he understands what's going on in the church. He understands that God's going to get victory out of that, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go back in the Old Testament days to this Habakkuk. Now Habakkuk sees God doing strange things. He sees the Chaldeans coming down and destroying Judah. He sees that the end has come and they're about to be taken into captivity. And he's upset. He doesn't understand what's going on. It doesn't make sense. He's questioning God. I, I thought you were a righteous God. How could you allow this? To- and so he says, I better get up on the watchtower. I, I got something wrong. Lord, you got to show me what's going on. And God gave him a vision. God says, wait, the vision will come, wait for it. But when you receive this vision, it will be a vision that will allow you to run. And he saw a vision and now he understood how to live in a time of exile, in a time of discipline and how he found footing for his hind feet in high places because he saw this wonderful vision. So we need as brothers and sisters, a comprehensive vision because it puts things into perspective. What seems so large down on earth from an eternal perspective is pretty small. And I gotta tell you, even in this present election where both sides are saying, this is the most important election that's ever happened in the history of our country, I doubt it. I've been around 76 years, all here in the US. And I've heard that said before, God's doing things. It's much bigger than just the election. Now, I mean, I'm not saying election is not important, but you got to put it in perspective. Now, you remember when the Herodians and the Pharisees came to Jesus to stump him with just such kind of a dilemma? What should we do in the political climate here? Because, you know, in Jesus' day, uh, there were many Jews who were rising up as zealots against Rome, wanting to topple the Roman government from off of Israel. And there were many Israels who were who are faithful to the Romans, that's the Herodians. And so they thought they came with a trap question that Jesus said, now uh, who, who's a, uh, who should we pay uh, taxes to? Should we pay tax to Caesar? And Jesus immediately saw, because he sees things from another perspective. He saw what they were up to. As a matter of fact, you see, so you know what he did. He said, show me the coin, and it had Caesar's coin, picture on the coin. And he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God. And of course, (laughs) it completely amazed all the people. And the Herodians and the Pharisees went away because you see, here's the deal. The Herodians were rendering to to Caesar because the Herodians were friends of Rome and they were completely compromised in order to make the Roman government succeed. The Pharisees were anti-Rome and they were for God. You know, They rendered to God, they were such godly people. But they could only see their own perspective, you see. But Jesus saw something higher. And what is that? There's only one priority in the kingdom. Do you you know what that is? There's only one priority. It's not even that there's a list of first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Sometimes we say, okay, well, it's gotta be God, church, the family, the work. There's only one priority according to Jesus and it's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's your commitment. And every other commitment is a rendering of a lesser importance based on that first and absolute thing. In the kingdom, you see, you serve completely. Absolutely. There is no competition in your heart. You know, we sing a chorus. Lord, I don't want to find any idol in my heart, no competition in my heart. That's absolutely right. Christ is absolutely number one in our heart and there's no number two. But having settled on a total love of God and a full love of your neighbor, then all the matters of your life, your your family matters, your patriotic matters, your civic duties and, and your social justice and all, is a necessary outcome and part of your life. Of course, you're a citizen. Of course, you have, have a job and all such things. But you see, when your vision is clear, what's central in your heart, then the Lord helps you to uh, to do your civic duty. So elections are important and uh, because it has an effect on our lives now, doesn't it? And if our love of neighbor is as absolute as our kingdom king demands, then we should care deeply about racial injustice and any kind of poverty. That's just what comes out of our heart, right? So we need to vote conscientiously, but without the idolatrous notion that any earthly king will bring in the kingdom. I mean, it's sad for me. I know the world, this is the only way they can respond. They get totally invested in the campaign of some individual and they say, well, if so-and-so wins, I'm moving out of the country. You know, and my life is over. Now, listen, but for a Christian to buy into the fact that we're, we, we're going to have an earthly king who's like the Messiah is a gross overestimation of what's going on right now. Our king is in control. Hopefully, we'll get a king that that will allow the Lord to show us mercy instead of the judgment we deserve. But in any case, we... We come through this election time and you know, it's okay. Listen, if, if you feel that there's a certain party that aligns with your moral values, then that's fine. It's not a problem. If you'll understand that there are those on the, in the other party who have a deeper awareness and, and burden for social justice than perhaps the other party does. And that's one of the geniuses of our little system we got a two-party thing going and there's truth on both sides. And when we denigrate each other, it just, it just shows that we're getting taken up into something. You know, we need to let people vote according to their consciences and some will vote one for one president candidate and some will vote for the other. I think we need to respect that, you see. So just let me put it this way. Could you imagine the disciples following Jesus and they come to this moment well should we serve Caesar or should we serve God? And Jesus speaks, and so immediately half the disciples trundle off with the Pharisees, and the other bunch head off with the Sadducees. Now do you think maybe they'll get distracted from their kingdom business? So I'm just trying to say, now listen, one one final sort of point on this. <laughs> then I'll leave it alone. <laughs> Our country is unique in this respect, that we still have the freedom to legislate things that will help our country in terms of helping people. You know, Martin Luther King made a statement that is very true and very Christian in its perspective. This is what he said. Morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Judicial decrees may not change the heart, but they can restrain the heartless. So thank God we live in a country where we can still write laws and still legislate in such a way that we can uh, hold back and restrain the forces of hatred, the forces of bigotry, the the forces of uh, racial injustice. And many of you have known also uh, persecution and injustice. And you understand that it's our God who is righteous and who alone can do these things. So I think that this election is important. I hope you will be a good citizen if you're a US citizen and vote according to your conscience. And frankly, whatever way you vote, I I trust you. I think you're doing that which is in your conscience and we'll see and leave the results to God. But now let's get to this more wonderful or, or larger question having to do with vision in this part C, which says, as we look forward to Christ's coming, 2 Peter 3.12 says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So just exactly how could we actually hasten Christ's return? Is this for speaking to the individual believer or for the bride or for both? All right. Now this, this is a good question and relevant to the theme that we've been together understanding this weekend. In the last days, especially, the Lord is speaking both to the churches and to the individuals who have ears to hear within the churches. So this is the churches and those bond servants who were listening. So it is both an individual and a church matter that the Lord is speaking to about hastening the day of God. How exactly do we hasten the day of God, the coming of the day of God? That's the question. How exactly do we do it? Well, now only the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end. He knows exactly all the timing that's involved. It's sovereignly already established. And from an eternal point of view, it's already in the works. And there's a precise day and moment when all will take place. Then there's nothing we can do about it. But on the other hand, on the level of earth, there's a lot we can do about it. There's a responsibility for the saints and for the bride corporately to the hasten the day of God and uh, in terms of uh, time we can delay the day of god depending on our preparedness and our readiness there is nothing jesus says more poignantly in his last speeches his apocalyptic messages there in matthew 24 and mark 13 etc as watch be ready i'm coming watch So now, how exactly do we hasten the day of God? Well, actually, Peter answers that question within the context of the whole epistle. Let me give you the mega overview and then some specific things within that passage range. Okay. In broad outline, what Peter tells us is this. Do you want to hasten the day of God? Then take chapter one to heart. And what does he say in chapter one? hasten the day of God by partaking of Christ's character in increasing measures, moving through faith unto virtue and from virtue to knowledge, from knowledge to self-control, from self-control to endurance, from endurance to brotherly love and from brotherly love to agape. If you are increasing in these things, you will find abundant entry into the kingdom of God. So first of all, Christians need to be on the increase, growing in the Lord. That's how we're prepared as a bride. Our character, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. Now take hold of it and grow in the character as the Lord gives you grace as you grow. Chapter two, what is the burden of his message? It actually begins there at the end of chapter one, and here it is. We received a prophetic vision of Jesus as the father's son up on the mount. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter says, I saw that on the mount. And now I prophesy to you. And that my prophetic is a word from the Lord. And what I want you to do, he says through chapter two is this. Don't listen to false prophets. Listen to the word of God. Prophecy is not something individually uh, uh, obtained and individually interpreted. But no, men were moved by the Holy Ghost to write down the scriptures. So hold on to the scriptures and hold fast to the truth that they speak of. And in this way, we hasten the day of uh, Jehovah. And then in chapter three, he carries on and specifically exhorts the Christians along this line. Don't lose your sense of his soon coming by mockers and unbelievers and say, yeah, life is cyclical. Things go on as ever, and nothing's ever changed. And this whole thing, the Lord's coming back. Nah, he's not coming back. Peter says, oh, yes, he is. Don't you let go of that blessed hope that's in your heart. Don't you lose your sense of the soon coming of the Lord by unbelievers questioning these promises and then seeing so far away and everything. And then in that regard, this is when this verse specifically comes in about hastening the day of God. So let's just listen to the few verses around it. Because Peter's encapsulating just, you know, all right, you want to hasten? Here's how you do it. Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some call slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Well, now there's your answer. Why is there delay? Why is a year as a, a day as a thousand years? Why are we waiting so long? The answer is by God's mercy. He's holding back the day of God, He delays it, not wanting any to perish. So this is a day for the gospel to go forward. And if there's a reason for delay, it's because he's still got some to gather in. Would we be faithful in the day of God to preach that gospel? Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What is he saying? He's coming like a thief. Remember that. Hold on to that. In verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Listen, he's saying, this world is going to burn up. So if you're investing too much in it, perhaps you need to invest a little bit more time in pursuing godliness, holiness. This is the sort of people that will hasten the day of God. And then finally, verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away. So again, the emphasis is we're waiting. We're waiting. We're watching. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Ah, that blessed hope May it rise in your heart like a day star, Peter says, and so on and so forth. And verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now that last little thing, keep yourselves blameless, spotless, peaceful. Doesn't that sound like a fulfillment of what the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus is doing to his church? that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. Well, that's what he's waiting for. And for us to cooperate with this whole transforming character of Christ within life of holiness and godliness and peace, and then he will come. So I hope that answers in part specifically what we need to do to hasten the day of God. Now, the second question is, does seeing the king make us a bondservant or does being a bondservant allow us to see him as a king? You know, I, I mentioned that kind of conundrum. Would you say that all Christians are bondservants or does the term doulos, which is the Greek word for bondservant, refer to a small subset of Christians? Well, as I said, uh, in one sense, you really can't say which comes first, but I know which comes first. It's when we see the king that we fall down as bond servants. So that's the answer to that. Somehow we've seen something of the king, and he's absolutely beautiful. And he's absolutely uh, a lord and so powerful. We fall down. We fall down before him and say, Lord, here, pierce my ear. I want to be your servant. I don't want to go anywhere. Where else can I go? This is a wonderful moment in in our life. But of course, you see some people are Christians for a while and they, they haven't quite seen the King clearly yet, but they offer their lives sincerely. You know, there's so many brothers and sisters around this world that really love Christ, really serving him. Even though that vision is missing, their understanding of the kingdom is missing but they lay their lives down surely the lord reveals himself to such precious ones so we can't answer that question but thank god people see the king and become his bondservants now would you say that all christians are bondservants or does the term doulas refer to a small subset oh well now you know in matters of the kingdom as jesus speaks of them in the, all the realities of the kingdom, there's an objective side and a subjective side. Objectively, we're all called to be servants of the king and his kingdom. As I said yesterday, there's a king and there are servants. Now, I used to say in the kingdom, you gotta have a king and you gotta have dumbs. The king is Jesus and the dumbs are us and we are his servants. And we're all called, if we're born again into his kingdom, we're all called to be bond servants of God, so objectively this is the case. As a, as one brother famously always says, it's the glory of God to command. When He's able to command, His kingship is seen. You know, it's the glory of man to obey. Now, because of our fallen nature, it's hard for us to understand that obeying is our highest honor and duty before God. But this is the truth. This is our high calling. It's, royal priests the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in the kingdom parables, we always see that there's this mystery, and it's mentioned in two parables as the mystery of the fact that many are called and few are chosen. Now, this doesn't mean that God arbitrarily calls a lot of people, but he's actually only interested in a few. And what it simply means is this, that many are called, but those who respond to the call as faithful bondservants are chosen. And what does it mean to be chosen? Well, it means to be loved and cared for in a special way. But think of it in this simple sense. Those who have been faithful in little things are chosen to be faithful in much. So you see, it. but it's because they responded. And so there's many Christians, it's a sad thing to say, there's many Christians who are saved but you could hardly say in reality that they're living the life of a bondservant. Their lives are pretty much on their own, independent, without much reference to God, except when they get in trouble. So, you see, in scripture, when you see the term doulos, bondservant, in the New Testament, you see it used in the reality. That is to say, not of everybody, potentially, but of those who really have uh, pierced their ears and died to self and are following the Lord. So bond servants, as Paul uses it often, but Jesus uses it in others. It means those who truly, you can see it. You can see it. They're truly a bond servant of the Lord. Now, I remember one time in our fellowship back several years ago, our dear brother Lance was um, with us in, in Manhattan. Uh, I think maybe it was his only. No, he came two times at think. And one time he was there and he shared. And I remember after the sharing, we were all eating some snacks and Lance was too. And somebody came up to Lance and said, so Lance, I mean, what do you do when you're not preaching? I mean, what's your real job? And they meant it kind of like a joke. What do do you really do? And uh, Lance suddenly got severe. It was unusual. But he got severe and serious. And he said, I am a servant of the Lord. And he said it with his accent, and with a strength that almost knocked this young brother over. The brother was kidding, but the Lord, but the Lance took serious the fact. And you knew when you saw Lance's life that he had been given to the Lord and was serving. So bond servants, those who truly fall down to serve the Lord, may it be everybody hearing our message today in reality but remember bond servant isn't just another term for full-time preachers you know sometimes we get that idea no 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 it's it's bond servant listen you never see the term bond servant by itself you look in the new testament it always says a bond servant of jesus christ the mark of a bond servant is his possession he's possessed by jesus christ jesus christ owns him and so it's not a small subset of Christians. You know, like some people have this idea, oh, we're the overcomers, like there we're some sort of small subset within all Christians. There's no subset of bondservants. There's no subset of overcomers. We're called to be overcomers. We're called to be bondservants. So I hope that helps. And then the final question we have here uh, If we see that Christ is our hope and life within, that enables us to be victorious, how do we view such verses as? 2 <laughs> Corinthians 7.1, let us purify ourselves. Matthew 16.24, let him deny himself and take up his cross. First Peter 1 Peter 1.16, be ye holy for I am holy. Matthew 5.48, ye must therefore be perfect. Where do our own efforts come from? Into this aspect of overcoming life? Well, now that's a very, very good question. And I referred somewhat to the answer in my third and fourth stages I gave yesterday of knowing the King in experience. At the heart of this question is the issue of defining who is obeying these exhortations. Let us purify ourselves, let us deny ourselves, take up the cross, let us be holy for I am. Ye must therefore be perfect. Who? is obeying these exhortations. If it is by our strength that we are to do these things, then we are under the law as our dear chosen Jews. And we must find a way to do that which we are commanded to do by our own strength, by pulling up ourselves, by our bootstraps, and by our own will. But what if there was another source of life within us? What if by the grace of God, We can obey by God's life within. So we want to look at two verses here in Galatians that seem to be contradictory when you first look at them. The first is well known. It's Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul went through an experience because he was a strong-willed Jew. And even as a Christian, he was going to keep all the laws and serve Jesus faithfully, be steadfast and immovable and abounding. And oh, how he tried. And he got stuck in Romans 7. His eye was suffering. I want to do this. I try to keep this. And I fail. And I fail. But you remember, even as he, was, he suffered through Romans 7, he was set free when he saw Romans 8, that the spirit of life, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. There was a new life within him. The Holy Spirit was giving him the energy and the power to do that which he could not do. He died to the law, but he was raised by the spirit of Christ and he was living by a new life. Nevertheless, I live, no longer I, but Christ. And so by faith, We consciously rely on Christ to serve, to obey, to even be disciplined. We learn by faith. So what does that mean? We stand up and by faith say, Lord, live your life through me, love through me, serve through me. You see, at first as Christians, we always try to do stuff by our own strength. Well, now that's the way we grew up. That's the way we heard, to do things by our own strength. And of course we find we're not very steadfast, immovable, abounding. And so we're not really that victorious in Jesus Christ. And so we come to this negative point, the zero, this nadir where we see nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And it's a struggle to come to that. Once you come to that, you're in despair. Nothing good abides in me that is in my flesh until you can say, but thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I've been set free. You see, the old man still believes a lie, and that is, I can do anything you can do better. I can do anything better than you. And then you challenge, do this, do that, do this, do that. Try I, try, I try, I try, I try, I try. And you fail. The old man thinks he can do anything. And in fact, in spiritual matters, the old man can do nothing but once he learns the lesson of a life within him that's also an energizing enabler then by faith he turns over and lets that life live in him and then look at the galatians 220 we all know but now look at galatians 52425 it seems like a contradiction because listen and those who are christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. no, no, no. I thought we were crucified already. But now Paul's saying, now we crucify the flesh with this passion. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What you see in between Galatians 2.20 and Galatians 5.24 and 25 is this whole secret of walking in the spirit and walking by that power of the spirit When the flesh rises up, it's crucified by the finished work of Christ. And we can lay that down and it's power of the flesh down because the life of the spirit is stronger than the life of the flesh. Do you know, if we walk in the spirit, we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. The flesh is not as strong as the spirit, but we have to learn how to walk in the spirit. The Holy Spirit within is our strength even to crucify the flesh. I remember the first time I heard this concept, my eyes bugged out. As a brand new Christian, I hadn't even been a Christian a year. And I heard this dear brother from England, whose name was Major Ian Thomas. Now he had been in the military and retired and he felt God calling him to serve in like the student ministry, like Campus Crusade, that kind of thing, uh, in the English style. So he gave it a try. And I mean, being a military man, you know, regimen, working out messages, disciplining his life, praying, studying the word, preaching the word. And so he did this sort of campus crusade ministry with no fruit, no results. He was so discouraged. He got finally desperately broken by his failure. And he said, Lord, I quit. And the Lord said, good. He said, what do you mean good? He says, well, I didn't ask you to do it. I said I would do it. And some, a light bulb went off in Ian Thomas's mind, and he said, Okay, well, I can't do it, so you do it. So that night, he had a, a campus crusade meeting, you know, whatever it was there in England. So he uh, came to that before that meeting, and he says, Lord, I got nothing to say. The Lord said, It's okay, I got something to say. He says, Well, okay. And he says, Lord, I'll be honest with you, I don't even love these kids. They seem like a bunch of brats. Because, of course, he's an army man, you know, quite a contrast. The Lord said, that's okay, I love him. So he said, okay, and by faith, I'm gonna stand up there and let you do the business. So, <laughs> of course he got up and spoke and a bunch of kids got saved. And, uh, and then the spirit poured himself out and he learned. And so his message, and he traveled the world speaking this simple message, not I, but Christ. Oh, what a revolution. He <laughs> he had learned but now by faith every time he had to step up you know and say okay now uh, i can't but you can and so he did and the lord did and after a while you learn to give this thing over to the lord with especially when the lord asks you to do an impossible thing to love an unlovely person to to do a difficult thing you know going to say okay i'm gonna steal myself i'm gonna do it you say lord i can't but you can i yield to you watch the life come through Now, the last part, the the saint wants me to be personal, and I, you know, we're very reticent about these kind of things, but they said, you talked about life overcoming and reigning with Christ. Can you please share some of your personal testimonies in this regard? Well, (laughs) now this matter of reigning in life is all about little things, you know. It's the little foxes in our life that can steal the grapes of an abundant life. And so daily daily uh, victorious is really where it's at. And it's usually many little things. You know, when Paul said, I die daily, he didn't just mean that his life was on the precipice and he was getting ready to be killed every day. But he meant every day in his life, he had to turn his need over to the Lord's supply. He had to turn his prison into praise. He had to turn self-pity into trust. You had to turn impatience into waiting. You see, this is how we gain victory. It's by taking the cross. It's that denial of self. It's by realizing, well, Christ crucified waited. Christ crucified had nothing, but he had all things. And so we learn these lessons. Now, I'm just going to share briefly two little lessons. But this, the important thing is to realize every day is when these victories have to be found. One is over financial worries and the insecurity that calls. Now, I uh, was a pastor in a denomination, and I left that denomination because I did not feel like they were conformed to the scriptural sense of the New Testament church. And I resigned being a pastor, and I went to live with my wife and my three dear sons in my mother and father's house. I had nothing. That was the end of my <laughs> my retirement pastoral retirement annuity plan and and the uh, career and uh, well so on and so forth well i went from being a pastor to driving a school bus for 65 dollars a week and as i used to say and all the kids i could eat it was a pretty tough time and my family knew poverty for about a year during that stage when i was we were living upstairs in my parents house well let me tell you how the lord overcomes this of course i I was cast down because i felt like god had called me to serve and yet there i was well that very day that i resigned and left and took my kids and we went out to my parents house and uh, we kind of sheepishly went in there and they were so hospitable and everything that very afternoon i got a phone call saying dana i my, my brother was a teacher in a Christian school in in New York City and a Christian uh, Pentecostal church, and so uh, they called me, the church called me and asked me to come in and share my testimony. Well well, I had nothing else to do. so I drove my little Volkswagen beetle into New York City and shared my testimony, how I'd gotten saved and filled with the spirit and now I'd gotten kicked out of a church this and that. <laughs> well. I could only share it a little while. I mean, the preacher was getting ready to preach his message, but I gave a testimony. I don't know how long it was, and they said, "Okay, we got to take up a special offering." Now Pentecostal churches are great at taking up offerings; you know, they take up three, four, five offerings. So they took up a special offering for me, and they gave me the money afterwards. And I counted it when I got back in my car. You know, you never, you know, I'm too spiritual to count it in front of anybody. When I got back in my car. I counted. It was four hundred sixty-three dollars. Now I'd never gotten that much of it. A gift as a pastor the whole time I've been in it. I thought, man, this is this is really great. So anyway, I'm driving home in my uh, my Volkswagen Beetle and get most of the way home and it starts really acting up my Beetle. And frankly, I I I limped into my uh, to my parents' house there in in first gear. Uh, I I couldn't. Something was messed up. I got it into the Volkswagen dealer and they could fix it, but you know what? It cost four hundred (laughs) sixty three bucks. (laughs) <laughs> Everything I, I made that <laughs> But it's God's joke. It was God's promise. You know, uh, I'm gonna take care of you. So during that year of poverty, you know, what, so what happened? So I'm driving school bus in the morning, the afternoon, got nothing to do in the afternoon, early in the afternoon, so I mope and be filled with self-pity. But after I got over that, the Lord sent me down to the basement, my parents' house, I started going through scriptures. And that's when I started writing the songs. You know, hadn't had time to write some choruses and stuff, but I started writing, the Lord is my portion and my inheritance. You know, wonderful songs like that. Just songs about the Lord. Give me vision of the beauty of the Lord. I'd write down these little songs. Then I go pick up the kids in the afternoon, you know? And so that's what I did for quite a while. But let me tell you how I got victory. So. So there was a, a minister that I had known since the time I was saved, a wonderful old brother, real seeing servant of the Lord. And he was out on out on Long Island near where I was living. I found out he was there staying you know, with some folks. And I called him, and he said, yeah, yeah, sure, come on by. So I told him my sob story. I'd gotten kicked out of the church, and I wasn't a pastor anymore, and I had no means of income, and I didn't know what my future was going to hold, and all this kind of stuff. I told my sad story. The guy sat there, when I got through, he said, Praise God, hallelujah. Praise God, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I said, what do you mean, it's wonderful, I have a lot. It's wonderful, it's wonderful. He says, now you're a servant of God. He says, you don't have to depend on some denomination, somebody telling you what to do, paying you to do this service. He says, now you're God, you're God, you're God. He'll take care of you, he'll take care of you. He was English, you know, and he was carrying on in this kind of ebullient e- 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 way, you know. And he so caught me by surprise that I found myself released. I said, well, God, that's what I want to be, just your servant. Don't want to be indentured to anybody, having to be paid to do this and that, and things that I'm not even gifted to do. So this brother kind of set me free, and I turned my uh, finances over to the Lord. And, um, boy, well, we went through times of plenty and times of want. <laughs> over those next several years, I had all the lessons to learn. But you know what? He made me free to serve. What a great lesson, huh? What a great victory. That it usually comes through a test, you know, which brings me to the last. It's hard to wait on the Lord, and I was tested in it in a certain period of my life. When I uh, left uh, my, my uh, ministry and the various things, I, I came into some vision, uh, just little bits of vision through dear brother Stephen Kong. And where I was living, I started to see the church and what ministry was and body life. And it so disassembled my previous knowledge of things that I left the, my ministry where I was serving the Lord. And I went to fellowship in a little house church with some dear brothers and sisters. Now, these uh, dear brothers and sisters, they they loved me, but they didn't trust me. <laughs> and uh, I already had a reputation for, you know, gathering people together and, you know, I played guitar and sang and taught the Bible and so on and so forth. So they said, well, sure, come on, you know, you, you, we want you to be part of us. And of course, I came in there and worshiped with them and everything like that. And they were, you know, they loved me and as, I was part of the family there. But the, they said, now, we don't want you to minister to work. And as a matter of fact, don't even bring your guitar because I think they were afraid maybe I was going to be like a Pied Piper and steal everybody off, and start my own church or something like that. I don't know what it was. But anyway, they were very cautious of me. And uh, uh, boy, I tell you what, it, it's just hard sitting when you feel like you have ministry. And then, and then even you hear people minister and you say, man, that guy doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know the Bible. Uh, you know, you feel like you should be sharing and you can't share. You just, your bones are burning inside. But you're under kind of a discipline. And, you know, there I was. And of course, I needless to say, they weren't support, giving me any kind of support or anything. And so I was actually substitute teaching at school. But boy, those days were dreary, long days. And I just was held down. I don't know why the Lord was making me wait. I, I felt like He was showing me so much of what the church was and everything. I was, I was reading everything about Watchman Knee and Stephen Kong and everything, you know, hearing Lance, and He was driving me nuts. But the Lord was having to take the minister out of me. You know, At seminary, you learn how to be a minister. You have a minister mentality. You know the best, you know what you need. You're the guy, everything stops with you. You're the guy to bring success or failure to the church. And the Lord says, you see, look at this little church. And they can go on without you. The Lord can do it without you. And I realized that, you know, then Lord, if that's what you want, I'm good. So I joined the group and helped out and did all that I could and, and things like that. And of course after about a year of that you know the Lord opened up a door of ministry uh, up in New York and uh, my wife and I traveled up there and the Lord opened up a way for me to work with my dear brother Ernie Heil. and so the Lord you know the Lord tests us and during that time of testing, I can't say every day I was victorious the days I was crying and days I was angry days I was frustrated, but in the end, you know, the Lord got his way, and this is really all we can ask for, for the Lord to have his way, so victory, you want to hear victory, well, it depends what side you want to hear, but the side of victory often starts at a moment of defeat, and a moment of challenge, a moment of need, well, that's all I got to say, and that's all we got time for, but before we leave, I, I believe our dear brothers want us to uh, sing a final song. And so if we could sing a hymn, then we will uh, close after that.
2: brothers and
3: sisters you can hear me okay yes uh, so uh, we've come to the end um, thought that uh, in conclusion uh, we would uh, sing this hymn there's a whisper from the glory uh, and uh, you know I would request uh, if, if you feel that you want to stand for this uh, feel free to do so uh, but um We'd like to sing through this hymn uh, and uh, as a kind of a, a conclusion to our, our, our weekend. And uh, may we sing this from our heart, uh, recognizing that our Lord is surely coming soon. And, and uh, uh, this is again written by our sister Barbara, uh, again, someone that was really looking forward to the Lord's coming. So we will ask our sister to play an intro and then we'll sing together. grateful we are for such a wonderful weekend. Lord, we are reminded, Lord, that we have a coming King. Lord, you are that coming King and you are coming soon. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for you came the first time as the the one who entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. You came as a servant King and you served all of us on the cross. And Lord, on that cross, you died a cruel death. But Lord, we thank you. You were willing to do so. Lord, because you wanted to be the firstborn among many brethren. Lord, you did not just ascend into heaven, but Lord, you wanted to make your life available to us. And Lord, we we learned this weekend, Lord, that your second coming is so tied with, Lord, how we respond to your salvation during our lifetime. Lord, so we our prayer is that, all that we have heard this weekend, Lord, we may really put to practice. Lord, may you be truly king of our hearts. Lord, you may conquer the every day of our lives. Lord, we may learn to be faithful and to be an overcomer in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we may be ones that truly hasten your coming in our daily choices, Lord, and our daily recognition, you as our king and as our Lord. So Lord, teach us how to practically in the life that you have given us, in our individual lives, in our family lives, in the family, in the church. Lord, how we are to be faithful. Lord, how we are to reign, how we to take care of your people. So Lord, we just uh, entrust all that, uh, that you have said back into your hands. Lord, may you have your way with each one of our hearts. Lord, even as we part ways, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may continue to speak to each one of us. Lord, have your way. Lord, may truly, Lord, your bride bri- be, be able to make herself ready. Lord, we thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. But Lord, we um, just entrust ourselves. Lord, may you have your way. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We thank the Lord for such a wonderful weekend. But uh, unfortunately, we have to come to an end. Uh, so we... We'll conclude our meeting here.
2: Thank you all, and the Lord bless you.